welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, it is good to be with everybody today. I'm so glad you're here. I actually want to begin with one of my favorite verses from the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8. It says this, as you go. Everyone say, as you go. As you go. Last week we talked about this word go, meaning go to the city, go to your neighbors, go into all the world, right? So as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, now freely give. Now Jesus gave this instruction to his disciples as he sent them out to do ministry. So basically, the ministry of Jesus can be summarized as this. Heal, raise up, cast out. I kind of included cleanse the lepers into the healing, right? Heal, raise up, cast out. This is the ministry of Jesus. This is the ministry of revival. And we need God's reviving work in this church, don't we? We need God's reviving work. We need the ministry of Jesus in our lives. I wonder how many of us need healing in our life. I wonder how many of us need God to raise something up in us that feels dead or feels dry or feels empty or feels broken, and we need him to bring it back to life. How many of us need him to cast out the evil in our life or the things in our life that we wish uh, were not there? And we need him to do this ministry. And so I'm just praying today, um, I'm just praying that today the ministry of Jesus, which by the way, by extension, is the ministry of this church, this is what we do, Uh, that it would be felt today, but it would be experienced today as well, that we wouldn't come here just for something, anything less than this. You see, our expectations need to be elevated to the ministry of Jesus happening on the norm, on the daily, that he is healing, raising up, and casting out on the daily. And if you're not expecting that in your life, I'm encouraging right now, it's available to you. If you're expecting him to do less than what he does, then you have bought into a false gospel. The gospel of Jesus is this. This is what he not only does, but what he sent his believers to do. So anyway, praying that over us today. We are in week 10 of our series called Revival Hope. And uh, we are talking about keeping the fire burning for an entire, for the entire year, right? We've been casting this vision for, that we want God to build up a fire in our hearts We want the fire to be stronger, to be brighter, to be hotter. How many know that it takes a lot of focus to keep the fire burning? A lot of us like to start fires. Not many of us like to tend fires. You know what I'm saying? People that just start fires cause problems. People that tend fires create solutions. Are you all with me? I just thought of that. That was good. That was from the spirit of the Lord. (laughs) So this series, we've been teaching... The great stories, some of the great stories of the Old Testament, because God has actually been bringing revival to his people and to cities for centuries. And we are just now learning still from some of those stories of revival in the Old Testament. Because, and now we look at our lives and we say, God, can you do it again? Because we, we serve a do-it-again God. I mean, he doesn't just want to do it once. If he's healed once, he can heal again. Are you all with me? And so here we are. We're going to get into this story today. We are looking at a story in 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm believing God wants to use this word, this word to do some deep work in us to do. Verse number one, here we go. Now Naaman 
was commander of the army of the king of Aram. Everyone say Naaman. Naaman. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. So there was a nation called Aram. There was a king of Aram. And the king had a great commander named Naaman, right? And it says this at the end of that verse. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Well, this is like, whoa, record scratch, because this is a unique sentence. Naaman is awesome. He's loved by everyone. He's a great soldier, and he has leprosy. This is like, if you are like kind to contextualize the Bible and pull from it meaning, this is like a grenade explodes at the end of the verse, right? Like, he had leprosy. This is a paradox But I love this verse because it's already out of the norm, which piques my interest and I sort of like because it's sort of out there because here is the hero who is also the outcast. Here is the hero that is also the villain. It's like I'm watching Shrek or Loki or something like that. There is an interesting character balance going on right here with Naaman. Are you all with me? Okay. Verse number two. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel that served, and she served Naaman's wife. So Aram was a nation that was at war, or at least occasional war, with Israel, and they are doing all sorts of warlike things, like taking one another as slaves, right? So Naaman's wife from Aram has a girl from Israel who is her slave. Verse 3, she, meaning the slave girl, said to her mistress, if only my master would see The prophet who is in Samaria, or Israel, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him uh, what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver. FYI, that's 750 pounds of silver. 6,000 shekels of gold. FYI, that's 150 pounds of gold. And 10 sets of clothing. FYI, there was a sale at the Gap. (laughs) The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman heads to Israel with this letter and what is believed to be about $1.2 million in silver gold if you equated it to today's value and Gucci fits, right? That's what's going on here. Now, I assume most of you know where Israel is located geographically. Unfortunately, with all that's going on in the world today, with Israel today, unfortunately, what's gone on in the Middle East for years, most of us are aware of this part of the world. While the nation, the, the nation uh, of Israel, while it was, going, while it was under captivity um, from Babylon, there was also this other nation called Syria that's north. So Syria was not also, was, excuse me, modern day Syria was Aram biblically. So right north of Israel is the nation of Aram. And Aram is uh, in this on-again, off-again war, but Naaman nonetheless heads south and travels to Israel. Now, what is especially interesting about this is Aram, as a nation, had their own king and they had their own god, uh, which we'll read about this god later in the story. But this god that Aram worshipped was the god named Ramon. Everybody say Ramon. Not R-A-M-O-N-E like you think. R-I-M-M-O-N. Ramon. So Ramon. All the people of Israel, they of course had their own king and their own God who they called Yahweh. The sound of breathing, right? Yahweh. That guy. 
And the slave girl, who is incredible, by the way, she is staying faithful to God, even in the midst of unthinkable circumstances where she becomes a slave. She tells Naaman, the, from Aram, the worshiper of Ramon, go to my land in Israel where we worship Yahweh, and there's a man there that can hook you up with this whole leprosy thing, and I suggest that you hurry because I think your pinky just fell off. This is what she says to Naaman, right? So he says, go, because remember the ministry of Jesus is what? to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and cast out demons. So Naaman, the king of Aram, he believed, Naaman and the king of Aram believe this to be a good idea because apparently they believe Ramon has no ability to do anything about this. So Naaman sets off to see the wizard. He's off to see, right? At least that's what he's thinking. But it's not a wizard. He, of course, is going to see a guy named the man of God, which is Elisha, known as the prophet. In verse 7, we'll pick it back up. He says, as soon as the king of Israel, who is not the prophet, by the way, but the king, read the letter, so he reads this letter that gets sent with Naaman, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? So how, or see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? To which we reply when we read this, like, calm down, bro. It's all good. Lay off the caffeine. Like, it's a lot of silver, gold, and some clothing. Take it. And there is some irony in this whole situation. The king of Israel, the nation who worships Yahweh, starts freaking out when someone says to him, hey, I hear your God's pretty cool and might be able to heal me of leprosy. And he's like, oh my gosh. And he starts tearing his robe. Like he gets distraught. So there's Naaman, the worshiper of Ramon, showing more faith and trust in Yahweh than the king of Israel himself, who is supposed to have faith in Yahweh. Isn't this very familiar to the church today? I'm not saying you, but too many believers doubt God can actually change things. All right, that's why we keep trying to do things on our own. That's why we keep putting our faith in the wrong things. We get to verse 8, it says this. When Elisha, the man of God, meaning the prophet, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message, <laughs> which is like Captain Obvious, right? Why have you torn your robes? which I just read it that way. Like, it was like very matter of fact. He's like, man, those were, those were expensive, bro. Like, chill out. He says, have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger. So I want you to catch this. Elisha doesn't go out to see him. He sends a messenger out. He says, go wash seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. So I want you to picture this scene, right? You have Naaman, who is this great man. He has horses and chariots, which is another way of saying tanks and trucks, right? He's got tanks and trucks, and he has an entourage with him, and he comes to the front yard of Elisha, comes to his door, who lives in a little house like a hermit, and Elisha doesn't even come out to see him. He sends a messenger. I mean, Elisha's like doing some like crazy Jedi mind tricks on him, right? He's like Yoda living in a little hut saying, hey, you know, go wash in the Jordan seven times. And Naaman did not like this. He didn't like it at all. He had come all this way. He's a great man. He has horses and chariots, and he's coming to Elisha's front yard, and he feels disrespected. Not only did he come out, not only did he not come out to see me, but you want me to wash myself in the nasty Jordan River? You kidding me? You know who I am? This is what he's thinking. Verse 11. 
But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers in Damascus, better than the waters in Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? This is a waste of my time. So he turned off and went in a rage. Everyone say rage. rage. <laughs> Anyone ever get mad when someone, uh, when someone makes you feel small? Anyone? No? Anyone? Like seven of us? Or how about when someone asks you to do something you don't want to do? Anyone? Our pride will cause us to throw ridiculous fits. Are you all with me now? Some of my worst moments in life are when I get so mad I rage. <laughs> and I know you're thinking, I can't imagine you raging, Tim. Some of you are like, I can. <laughs> but it usually involves when someone tells me to do something I don't want to do, and I don't think they have any business telling me to do it. Are you all with me? Anyone ever rage? Raise your hand, ragers. Anybody rage against the machine? I'm just wondering. Listen, if some of you are like, I raged on the way here. Can we just pause and just all collectively say, just say no to road rage? Some of you are like, no, I that's like my therapy. No, it's, don't take it out on people you don't know. Use your blinker. Spoken by a true road rager. Yes. So Naaman is mad. He is mad. He's angry. He's come all this way, and Elisha doesn't even come out to see him. And on top of that, he tells him to go take a bath in the Jordan seven times. I mean, what is that about? Seriously. Naaman's like, I thought he would come out and he would do some sort of huge spectacle where he'd call on the name of his Lord. He'd like wave his hands and then he'd Benny Hinn me and I'd be all good. Some of you are like, who's Benny Hinn? Don't worry about it. He's offended. He's like, where's the big show? Where's the smoke? Where's the spectacle? I showed up. I want God to show off. He's an important person and he's asked to do something that seems insignificant. It's something simple. Go wash in the Jordan. Go wash in the Jordan, Naaman. He's the sick one, yet he's demanding his healing on his terms. Sound familiar? You know how many times I've talked to people who need healing, but it's like they want it their way. You know what I mean? Like, God, I'll trust you to heal me, but I don't want it to be awkward. I don't want, I don't want, you know, I don't want to be uncomfortable in the process. I don't want to be humbled in the process. In fact, if I don't have to talk to anybody and you can just zap me with healing, that would be sweet. And then nobody knows that I even went to you in faith. <laughs> How many of you know it takes humility to admit that you need God to move in your life? It, it takes surrender to say, I'll do whatever you say, God. I'm not too proud. I'm not too busy. I'm not too important. So Naaman is asked to do something rather simple. Go wash into Jordan. Now, I want you to think about this because this is what people did to bathe. They went into the river. This would be like me telling you, hey, go take a shower. You're like, bro, I just took one. And I'll be like, go take another one. In fact, take seven showers, please. 
you need it. You're nasty. Take seven person of leprosy, right? Like, so what's, what's, what's happening here? He's like, listen, I don't, I don't want to do this. I, I don't need to go take a bath. I've already done it. He's like, no. Go do the thing that seems normal. It seems small. But the small things are difficult, aren't they? Catch this. Your relationship with God is about a lot more about a lot of littles than a few bigs. For example, how many know that experiencing the presence of God in your life is actually more about a lot of littles with God in order to experience the deep, rich, meaningful, huge things that you want to experience and you desire in your life? The cumulative impact of a lot of littles is evident all over life, is it not? Right? I mean, in sports, muscle memory is about a lot of littles. Ask any coach, right? In school, straight A's is about a lot of littles. Consistent every day, all the time, doing the right thing. In faith, it's the same. Our prayers, our actions, it's about a lot of littles. A good example I've, I used a long time ago that I thought of to illustrate the cumulative effect of doing good things is a simple example of like picking up trash in the world right? Stay with me on this, all right? Let's say we decided to do one small act of taking care of the earth per day. So we decided to pick up one piece of trash per day. That say, let's say that piece of trash is, mm, it's larger than a gun wrapper, but it's not one of those random mattresses you see on the side of the road. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out why there's so many stray mattresses in the world. So it's, but it averages out to one 20-ounce Coke bottle, right? A 20-ounce Coke bottle. That's what we're going to pick up every day. Just stay with me on me. Meaning, on average, sometimes it's a gun wrapper, sometimes it's a mattress, but it averages, it balances out to this bottle. And an empty bottle weighs around 7 ounces and is 11 inches tall. So picking up one bottle per day would equal 160 pounds of empty Coke, root beer, and Mountain Dew Code Red bottles, right? Like, that's what it would equal. It's stacked on top of one another. If all those bottles were stacked on, one, on top of one another, one another, in one year it would be 335 feet tall, which is a small skyscraper, right? And let's say you did this one act of human good for 40 years. So not 80, not 100, but 40 years. And over that amount of time, the cumulative effect of this one simple act every day would add up. I think we get that. But you would pick up over 6,400 pounds of plastic. That's over three tons of trash. You would also pick up something that would tower over 13,400 feet into the air. That's 11, that's 11 Empire State Buildings stacked on top of one another. Not to mention recycling that plastic, because we are recycling it, of course would save about 25 million watts of energy. So little things matter. And I know what you're thinking right now. Tim, are you telling me to go pick up trash? <laughs> yes, that's our new mission statement. We will pick up your trash. No, it's not, the, the point is not a 20-ounce bottle, is it? The point is the cumulative effect of doing the right thing. The little things matter in life. Yet we sacrifice prayer on the daily all the time. Yet we sacrifice the discipline of reading God's word daily because we're busy, right? Or we get lazy with our neighbors and learning their names or befriending them. Or we trade in community and ministry for Netflix and watching football. We need to do the small things and let God do the big things. Yet we try and be big thing people all the time thinking we can do the big thing. And in the process, we sacrifice and abandon the small things. 
God whispers, be grateful for your family. While we yell, God, I need you to get me a new job. And all we want is the big thing. And he's like, can you just be faithful in the thing I told you? God whispers, find joy in the mornings. And we say, man, I'm too busy to pray in the mornings. He says, can you be faithful in the little things? You're like, I need joy, but yet we sacrifice the little things. God whispers, trust me. I just need you to wait for a season. And we decide, man, I've waited long enough. I think this God thing and this church thing, man, it's not really working out. I need to try something new. We, need, we think we need God to show up and show off when we show up. <laughs> Naaman, just go wash in the Jordan, will you? Come on. You're not too big for that. So is that what's happening with Naaman in this story? Well, in many ways, yes, it's exactly what's happening. He's expecting God to do what he wants him to do. But instead, he's told to humble himself, strip himself naked, and go and bathe seven times in the Jordan River. You understand how humbling that is? He just showed up with tanks and trucks. Go get in that water. It's worth mentioning that seven is a unique and intentional number in the Word of God. A lot of us know this. But the number seven represents fullness, wholeness, completeness. Naaman, I need you to go and cleanse yourself completely. Go wash in the Jordan, Naaman. Verse 13, Naaman's servants went to him. Now, his servants are pretty smart. They actually want to help him, and they tell him some truth here, which is unique. They say, my father, or in other words, my master, if the prophet had told you to do a great thing, would you not have done it? He's like, you want to do something great, Naaman. Like, he, he, if he would have told you to do something big, like give us $1.2 million and I can make it happen, or go walk across the Sahara Desert and back, he would have, Naaman would have been like, yes, I can do that. I can accomplish great things because I'm a great man. And so he thought he had to do something great in order to get something great in return. And instead, he's asked to do something that anybody else can do, something small. In other words, quit being so proud. They say this. How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? They're like, listen, in other words, quit being so proud. Do the humble act of washing yourself. Seven times, it's simple. There's no glory in it. You didn't do anything powerful. You didn't give a bunch of money that nobody else could give. Amen. You have leprosy. You are sick. By the way, Elisha's not even coming out. Just I feel like this is another layer. Like Elisha had nothing to do with it either. Yeah. Naaman had nothing to do with it, and neither did Elisha. This was all the Lord. Yeah. Verse 14. So he went down finally after his, his servant said this to him. And he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. He, he was just healed of leprosy, but he wasn't just healed. Like, he was, like, restored in fullness. He got the full makeover. He had, like, skin reversed in time. Like, he is now silky smooth skin, right? Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. Load up the tranks, tanks and trucks, boys. We're heading back. That's what's going on here. And he stood before him, meaning he stood before Elisha. This time Elisha comes out to meet him. So... And he says, now I, and he says this to Elisha, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. This is a big moment. This is a big moment. This guy who had came here worshiping Ramon, right, 
is now saying there is no God in all the world except Yahweh. Now, this isn't that big of a deal if you think about it in the context of their culture. Culturally, people in Aram would have been a, they would have believed in multiple gods. And so him acknowledging that Yahweh is a God isn't that big of a deal. But him denouncing all other gods, saying there is no other God except Yahweh, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And this is exactly, this is not a problem or a, or a view of spiritual or a view of God that is unique to this time. This is exactly where so many people are in our world today. They don't denounce God or Jesus but they say, well, I think all religions are basically the same. Or I think they might say, I think people have to discover God in their own way through their own process. So, yeah, maybe it's organized religion. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's Buddha. Maybe it is Jesus. You know, whatever. And, and there's, this, there's this sentiment, even in the church, that it's like, hey, we don't want to be exclusive here. Listen, the acknowledgement of one God, the creator God who sent Jesus is actually not only critical, but essential in the doctrine of our Christian faith. And that's when you hear many people step up and say, yeah, and that's my problem. That's my problem. Why do Christians act like their way is the only way? You ever heard that question? Why does it have to feel exclusive? Can I just speak to this for a minute? This is a sidebar. Are you guys good with the sidebar? Well, I'll say it this way. Wouldn't we... I think we all would agree universalism would be a great thing, right? Like, it would be easier. I would sign up for that if it was an option that God gave us. Because I'm like any of us. I, I, can, I can look around and I can have a, you know, a, a logical view of things. Like, I can respect the heck out of someone who's devoted to another religion. I can respect the heck and learn from devout Muslims or Hindus or spiritualists. So why does it matter? I mean, why do we say um, that if you put effort into anything other than Jesus, that it's all for naught? What, what, what is that? Well, first of all, if we think that any particular path could be a path to God, that logic is a bit flawed because if we can do whatever we want to earn our way to heaven or to be in relationship with God, where does the interpretation of what is a qualified religion or way of life, where does that line get drawn if we think that many ways and potentially any way can get there? So ultimately, if we have that viewpoint, we ultimately end up becoming our own God because we are determining the path that seems right. And so we no longer have God, we are God. Okay, so let's take the logic thing out of it because I think in that simple logic kind of train, it leads towards idolatry versus submission to one God. But let's just look at it a different way. Secondly, the God of the Bible is a jealous God. The number one commandment in the Bible is put no other gods before me. And then Jesus comes and says, hey, there's no, one to the fa- no way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus and God are actually the ones that are exclusive. And it makes sense because the narrow path, which it's called in the scriptures, to Jesus, to life, excuse me, to life, to eternity, is through Jesus. And it's narrow. It doesn't mean hard. It just means specific. God made a specific way to follow him. And the Christian faith says, we're going to submit to that. It isn't exclusive as better than. It's a truth that's been given to all the world for us to then make the conclusion, am I going to be my own God or am I going to submit to the one way that God said that we can be in a relationship with him? 
So perhaps God's way of healing Naaman was also God's way of teaching Naaman how to live. There's one God, but I also want you to catch this progression that he gives Naaman. Humble yourself. You're not that big of a deal. (laughs) You're not that big of a deal. Can I say that again to the seven of you that think you are a big deal? (laughs) You're not that big of a deal. You have leprosy. Go and do the simple things. Don't be too proud or too busy. Don't try and do it on your own. But when you go, I want you to go all the way. Seven times. The number of wholeness and completeness. In other words, don't cut corners. Don't round the edges. Oh, now we're about to preach. Don't shave it into four or five times or six times. It's seven times. It's seven days a week. Don't take days off from me. We do this with so many things in life, by the way. Quickly, seven becomes five, and we think we've checked the box. And then five becomes four, and then three. Just so you know, three never equals seven, four never equals seven, and six never equals seven. Seven only equals seven. So there's a completeness, a wholeness. God shows us in his word that big things are preceded by a lot of littles, meaning consistently tending the fire one log at a time matters. Being faithful to your spouse every day matters. Um, Being generous with your time and your resources seven days a week matters. Being grateful to God and praising him on the daily matters. Uh, This is why I would even occasionally mention in our church, uh, because I don't want to offend anybody, but at the same time, it's true, like consistently coming to church matters. Uh, The cumulative effect, going back to that idea, of being in church four Sundays and five on a five-Sunday month (laughs) versus one or two or even three, it adds up. I don't think any of us argue that it doesn't unless you feel like there's no value in coming to church. I'm thankful for YouTube and podcasts, but can I just say this? They do not replace church. It does not simulate corporate worship or the atmosphere of God's presence that we felt during worship today. We have those as resources when people can't be here for whatever reason. And we also have it for where you can go back and watch it because you just loved it so much and you want to learn from it again or for you to share with your friends and family, or for new people who are looking for a church, or for friends and family that don't go to church here, but they go to another church, but they want to experience a little taste of our church, so they watch it. That's what it's for. But if you go to church here, if you go to church here, it's not for you. Not for the the regular. It's which one you need it. Because drawing near to God's, drawing near to uh, God's presence This church, for example, is a heat source for us. It's a significant part of keeping the fire burning in your life. And it positively impacts you and it negatively impacts you as well whenever you don't draw near. The cumulative effect will add up to where the fire will get weaker. It'll get more dim when you're not around as much. And if you're like, okay, Tim, I get it, I get it, I get it. I just gotta say one more little like point on it. Let's just take this cumulative effect thing over the course of time. In one year, if you come to church on average two times a month, which is many people in today's culture, you in two years' time will miss out on one year's worth of gathering with God's people, giving him praise, drawing close to his presence, being near the heat source, being encouraged and filled up in a way that nothing else in this world replaces this. Nothing. And we commit to a lot of things in a given week. And here's the deal. Um, 
we cry out to God for revival and he says this. He says, I'm in the little things. <laughs> so let's pause and consider a few things. One of the truths we're possibly considering or we're pulling from this story is that our faith is often about a lot of littles, so are we being humble and faithful to them? And as I sat with the scripture this week, Naaman began to move from a foreigner from a different land that I didn't really relate to and just reading his story that I began to see that I'm actually potentially Naaman in this story meaning I'm the prideful man demanding healing on my terms that doesn't want to bathe seven times. Are you all with me? So I want to just put a quick question on the screen, and it's just really this. How do you relate to Naaman in your own relationship with God? Really quick, I'm going to go through these three little thoughts. Number one, maybe we dismiss the small thing. Do you do that? Naaman was looking for something big and extravagant. Are you only looking for God to do big things? Are you, like, are you really valuing the small things? Number two, we may avoid the small thing because of pride. Naaman felt like he was too important for such a, demand, a demeaning command as to go wash in the Jordan. And sometimes we're just like, you know what, that's, you know, I've moved beyond that. I'm bigger than that. I'm older than that now. I've matured beyond that. Number three, we may be inconsistent with the small thing. I've already mentioned it a bunch now. Naaman didn't want to bathe seven times. We make seven into two, three, or four. Are you dismissing the small faithful thing? Are you avoiding humble acts of serving? So many of us come to this church, but do you serve? Are you inconsistent in the little things in your life? By the way, this is not a shame or a guilt. This is like really supposed to be freeing. It isn't about you doing big and bad and awesome things. It's about you being faithful in the little things and letting God do the big things. There's actually a lot of pressure off when you do it this way. Oh, God isn't expecting me to be great. He's going to do the great things in me and through me. So I want this to rest in us today. I want to finish the story because I have, there's one more powerful truth that is a little different than what we've talked about, but I think it's going to be encouraging. Naaman's healed, right? He heads back with his entourage to Elisha. And he says this to him at the end of verse 15. He says, so please accept a gift from your servant. So he's been healed, and he wants to come and give Elisha a gift. He's like, here, I have $1.2 million for you. The prophet answered, I don't know why why he did this, but as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. I'm like, bro, just take it. It's all good. (laughs) Now he says, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he still refused. He says, if you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth or dirt, he wants dirt, as a pair of mules can carry. So imagine these mules carrying a bunch of dirt. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. At this point, I think we should all collectively ask, what's the dirt about, Naaman? (laughs) He wants to take some dirt. I'm sure Elisha's like, yeah, bro, knock yourself out. Get a shovel, go for it. There's actually a reason, though. Naaman has got a little things messed up in his head about God, which I know is really hard for you and me to relate to because we've got it all figured out, right? Naaman believes that it's necessary to take literal dirt from Israel so that he can put it in his backyard, spread it out, and stand on Israel in his backyard to make 
offerings to him because he feels like he's connecting Yahweh to a geographical location of Israel, right? So he's starting to get it. There's no other God, but he thinks God is limited to places and times. And I don't know, and again, I know this sounds really crazy, but how many of us have to be reminded God is everywhere? He's not just in the church. God is everywhere. And so name and know, you do not need any dirt. God's everywhere. This would be like us thinking that God will only move when we gather at 1030 here on Sundays. But God doesn't live in buildings and he's not contained to locations. I think we know that. But we need to know that like we really know it, right? Check this out what he says in the next verse, verse 18. He says, but may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. The name is like, okay, I do have one thing. How many of us are like, hey, Lord, there's this one thing. Everything else I'm cool with, but one thing. When my master, meaning the king, enters the temple of Ramon. Everyone say Ramon. There he is. We're not giving him any credit or glory. We're just talking about his funny name. Ramon. To bow down, he is, and he is leaning on my arm, I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord forgive your servant of this. He's like, so here's the deal, Elisha. Check this out. Like, when I get back home, I'm going to have to go back to work. And I have a boss who goes to the temple every day, and he bows to this God, Ramon, and he might actually, like, grab my arm and pull me down with him, and then I'm going to have to bow, and I can't do anything about it. I mean, it's, you know, it's just kind of the way it is. He's like, do you think we can work something out here? Is this okay? So what does Elisha say? You would think he would say, like, bro, no way. Are you kidding me? Turn or burn, Naaman. No compromise, no pain, no gain. What is he saying? He's like, no, no, no. You can't go back to Aram. You got to stay here in Israel. You can be part of my God squad. You know, we can do this thing. Like he doesn't tell him any of that stuff. (laughs) He says, he says this in verse 19. Elisha says, go in peace. It's a very interesting line. There's that word go, by the way. Got to go. Got to keep going. He says, go in peace. Remember the word peace in the Hebrew was the word shalom, which many of you have heard messages about that particular word. But it is a robust, rich meaning. It doesn't just mean the way we understand peace. It actually means like um, this, this fullness, this completeness of God with you. you pray shalom over, over someone. It was like literally go with the withness of God, like the complete wholeness of God going with you. So he's like, go in shalom. Go with God. In other words, God is with you, Naaman. Naaman's like, I have to go back and worship in a place that's got a different God. And Elisha, he's like, should I do this? What's going to happen? And Elisha's like, go in peace. (laughs) I wonder how many of us, I wonder how many of us, we work in environments where it's easy to, it's not easy, excuse me, to take your faith into I wonder how many of you have situations you don't feel like Jesus is welcome in the place you spend a lot of your time, not welcome in the building or maybe even the home you're in or the school or wherever. And you're constantly wondering like, do I need to extract myself from this? What do I do? Maybe you're constantly sorting through, how do I be a follower of Jesus in a world that has, in so many respects, temples of Ramon all over the place? 
Maybe it's relationships. You have this person you care about and this person has just went, they just went so far away from the Lord. They're far, far away from God. And every time you're around them, you get confused. You're like, should I be keeping around them or should I, should I distance myself from them? You don't want to be a holier than thou person. But how many of you guys know that faith is not always this black and white thing, that there's all sorts of shades of gray where we're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in a really difficult world that we have to navigate? How do we make decisions when we are like, we're, we're, we're like Naaman, right? Like, listen, I love God. There's no other God in the world. However, my boss does not like Yahweh. <laughs> what do you do? What do you do? And I know that's where a lot of us are. Maybe perhaps we could look at it this way. He says, go, be, God is with you. And I, I just do know that some of us need to hear that today because you're really struggling in that in your life. But don't you ever wonder, like in this kind of story, I wonder like, why didn't, why didn't Naaman just stay in Israel? Why did he send him back to Aram? And don't you know when he got back and he's got no leprosy anymore, everybody's like, bro, what happened? The king is like, Naaman. Your skin likes, looks like that of a young boy. How did this happen? Tell me your story. That's how kings talk. Tell me your story. Then, what happens? What happens? Name is like, I went to Israel and found out that there is a God above all the other gods. It's the only God. He told me to do something crazy. It was so simple, it wasn't even a big deal. I didn't have to give him my 1.2 million. By the way, here's your money back, king. And he healed me. How many know that God sends his people into dark places like temples of Ramon so that they can tell their story about the work that God has done in their life? So you may be exactly where you need to be and Elisha's word to Naaman is the same word to you when you're like, I don't know what to do. Go in peace. Go in peace. And here's the deal. Like, I'm not trying to minimize it or make this super simple because I do realize that following Jesus in today's world is much, much more difficult than just following the rules or going in peace. But it's, it's not sometimes, like I said, black and white. It's all sorts of shades of gray. And here's what I would say. How do you live a life without compromise or without watering it down? How do we live out these really difficult things? Can I, just, can I just remind you of something? It's about a lot of littles. We are always looking for the big key to unlock everything, to make it all work, and it's not there. You know what is there, though? Just a lot of littles that add up to a cumulative effect of making an impact in this world. But if you sacrifice the little of today, you sacrifice the future. You understand what I'm saying? Like there is, there is truth in just the simplicity of, of what Jesus says. Hey, be faithful in the little things and I'll make you, I'll, what does he say? Be faithful in the little things and I'll trust you with a lot. I knew someone knew it. You do the little things and I got more for you. I got more for you. So God has called us to be humble and obedient to seemingly small acts of faith so he can use us all for his greatest purpose, to heal, to cast out, and to raise up. Remember? That's the ministry of Jesus. And we want to see those big things happen. But those big things are preceded by a lot of littles. 
So we're going to pray today. We're just going to respond to the Lord and we're going to worship. And before we pray, I just want to, I do want to invite you to consider, do you need the ministry of Jesus in your life today? Do you need healing? Do you need him to raise something up in your life that feels empty or feels dead? Do you need him to cast something out? If that's where you're at today, I think you can just say, Lord, I'm, I'm willing. I, I, I don't want to ask for it on my terms. I just want to humble myself before you. So we're going to pray and we're going to sing and we're going to create some time of response and ministry. Would you stand with us? As we pray, Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you come into this place and would you just start to minister to so many of us in this room that, you know, we, we resonate with the, the challenges of what it means to follow you in today's world. But Lord, we don't, we don't push back against it. We don't, we don't you know, uh, we don't have a, a challenge with you, but Father, we have a challenge with the world. And so, Lord, help us. We don't want to be people who uh, compromise, but we do want to be people who understand how to go in peace. But, Lord, right now, I just pray that, Lord, the ministry that you do, that only you can do, would be realized in people's life today. And so, Lord, I pray for anybody right now that needs versions of healing in their life, mental, spiritual, emotional, of course, physical healing, God, would you just start to move in their heart right now that they would just be willing to trust you with whatever you call them to, Lord. For those who, who need uh, something cast out of their life, there's evil work happening in their family or in their life personally. I just pray right now against the work of the enemy. We pray the enemy out of this place. We pray your conquering victory over sin today, God, in the name of Jesus, we pray that. And then, of course, we pray, Father, for anybody that needs something raised back to life, that this would be the time in which you do that. And so, Lord, we just pray your ministry is released into this room in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our prayer team is going to be coming up and they're going to be here. And maybe that small step today for you is just to say, you know what, I'm going to pray with someone else today. I'm just going to trust him for what God wants to do. And so our team will be here. We'd love to pray with you as we respond in worship and prayer. You can stand silently and pray where you're at. You can come pray at the altar. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.